Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Jing Gao, to our show today. Jing is the founder and CEO of Fly by Jing, the fastest growing direct-to-consumer startup and Asian food brand. Her first product, which was a Szechuan chili crisp, took the food world by storm in 2018, propelling Fly by Jing into the mainstream and spotlighting Jing as a leading expert in Szechuan flavors. Fly by Jing has since sold over 2 million jars of their chili crisp to date, making it one of the fastest growing condiments on the market and a household staple for many. Today, chili crisp can be found in thousands of grocery stores across the US, coming a long way from the Kickstarter campaign she started that led to its fame, and Fly by Jing has since expanded into a multi-million dollar business. In this week's episode, we discuss Jing's upbringing, the many countries she lived in growing up, and how those experiences impacted her life. She talks about how she left her stable tech job to pursue a career in food full-time, the way she evaluated her risks when becoming an entrepreneur, and how she decided to move to the US without knowing anyone when she was launching her business. We also talk about the very early days of the business when Jing first launched on Kickstarter, the multiple challenges she had when creating and shipping the product to customers, and how she created such an incredible high growth brand from the power of word of mouth and community. Welcome to the show, Jing. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. Big fan of you, your brand, just how you show up so authentically of who you are, both inside and outside the business. So this is going to be a fun one. I'm excited to jump into it. So when I was actually prepping on your journey, Jing, I was so impressed about the moves that you've done, the risks that you put yourself into from like a very young age. So I'm just curious to learn more about maybe your relationship with risk. And do you think it was maybe something in your upbringing that kind of got you a little bit more comfortable with it? Yeah, I think it's definitely been a gradual process for me to embrace risk. I think growing up, um, I was, you know, not out of choice, but because of my family's job, I was moving around a lot to a different country almost every year. And really, um, you know, and I'm, I'm an only child as well. So, you know, my parents were always busy working and, you know, I got used to new environments very quickly growing up. And um, also, I think that made me really independent from a young age and spent a lot of time by myself, you know. And so I kind of felt like I, I didn't necessarily need like a ton of support to kind of do things that I wanted to. Um, that being said, I think growing up also in an immigrant family, you know, there is this aversion to risk sometimes, even though it's kind of ironic because our parents take such a huge risk to bring us to, you know, where we are. But um, then they kind of want for us to go the route of like less risk. Right. And so I think I was conditioned by my parents to you know, go the safe route, take the safe corporate job and like kind of climb that safe corporate ladder. And I definitely, you know, 
I definitely went with them, like with according to their wishes, for the first few years of my career. Um, I think you know, even going to business school was sort of a concession that I made with them because I wanted to go to art school. I was like really into art, and you know, my parents, um, my dad's a nuclear physicist, and he, you know, was already disappointed that I want didn't want to become a scientist. <laughs> So um, somehow, like going to business school became a middle of the road compromise for us. Um, And, you know, when I graduated from there, it was considered, you know, prestigious or safe to kind of go into a corporate world. So whether it was banking or consulting or, you know, in my case, I went into brand management of P&G. So, you know, I think like Given the background, I definitely took the safe route at first, but the more I can, I'm a very kind of experimental person. I learn through experience and, um, and I like to kind of, you know, adjust and, you know, recalibrate based on what I learned. So when I was in that corporate world, after a year or two in, I was like, okay, you know what? I think, you know, I'm ready for the next challenge. And then, you know, did jump from, that to tech, which I felt was more, <clears throat> a little bit more exciting. Um, I got to travel a lot. I moved to Asia with a tech job and, um, but it was still, you know, a very secure corporate job. And um, it took several of those kind of experiences before I finally get, gained enough confidence to take that risk and jump and do my own thing. I love that. And we're, there's so much I want to unpack there, but I want to call out, I love that you said you learn through experience because, you know, even with my own business, I've been wanting to start something for like 10 years. Like I, similar route to you, my parents were like, go to business school. I never went to business school, but I did the banking route, stayed there. And I was like, this doesn't feel authentic. Yeah, I'm doing well and I'm getting promoted, but something fell off. And I never had the confidence at that time to take the leap. But through putting yourself in these like different scenarios and different experiences, I love that because I think that was my also what kind of helped me make the leap. And I know it's been a big journey for me, for you. And also you learn by doing, there's only so much you can like read and listen to podcasts. Like sometimes you just got to go all in and be like, this is for me or this is not for me. So that is like the theme of your life, which I'm just so inspired by. And I'm excited that people get to listen to you here. And, you know, one thing I find so interesting, you know, you grew up, I believe, mostly predominantly in Europe, right? When you were traveling around with your parents about once a year? Yeah, I would say Europe. And then the majority of the time was in Canada, actually, after high school. Okay, amazing. Because, you know, you moved to Blackberry, which was like the hottest thing at the time in Singapore, which is like not a common move, especially, you know, you're in your early 20s. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Like, were you excited or nervous about taking that leap to Asia? And what would you say were maybe some of the the biggest learnings you had from that experience? Because I feel like it kind of opened your you up to like this whole other world. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but you just, you know, made me think of recall the feeling that I had, which was just I was petrified. I was terrified because um, I was going into like this industry that I was just interested in, but knew nothing about like, you know, um, it was actually someone who I think it was like a friend of a friend who had graduated a few years before me from the same school that hired me into this role based on nothing more than just he thought, you know, I was smart, I could handle it, but I knew nothing about tech. And I was sort of working on the software product management side of things. 
Um, and yeah, it was terrifying because I remember also, you know, going to a brand new country, yeah. right? Not yeah. knowing anybody, living out of a like a service department, and um, then working with a teams of folks who were all at least 10, 15, 20 years older than me. You know, I was 20, maybe 23, 22 at the time. So there's a ton of imposter syndrome. There was a ton of like trying to hide my age so that people didn't know just how young I was. And, um, you know, in a sense, like faking it till I made it. And I think, you know, it took some time to kind of gain people's, um, just people's, you know, respect. And, um, you know, it took time for me to gain my own footing and and confidence. Yeah, it was, it was, I just remember, like, you know, just absorbing everything. You know, I I was lucky to have great mentors. um, But there was definitely a long period of like, feeling, you know, not cut out for it, or, you know, definitely extremely uncomfortable uncomfortable but that's where you know the discomfort is where you grow yeah and I'm always so curious because as I even reflect on my own journey like with business you know we're quite young we've only been around for two and a half years I'm like man the amount of situations where I feel uncomfortable is just the norm especially like the past five months I'm just like there's at least one situation every day where I feel like not petrified, but like, I've never done this before. I feel very uncomfortable. I got to figure it out. And looking at your journey, you mentioned, you know, you still made this leap where you felt petrified. So I'm always so curious because, you know, there are some people who don't lean into that and that there's others who are like, this sucks, but like they have the resiliency factor to go through it. So, you know, you've been in so many of those situations. What do you think kind of maybe at that time helped you still push along or even in your journey right now? Cause I'm sure there's so many things that you're still, you know, putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation. Yeah. I think for me personally, it's, it's really the appeal of learning something new. Like for me, you know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I go through life with experiments, but it's all really in purpose of learning and growing and, um, you know, becoming a new person, you know, becoming a person that goes in a direction that the previous me couldn't even have, you know, fathomed. Right. Um, so I think with even today with, you know, my business today, like, yeah, I'm constantly learning new things. Just today I was learning, how do I live stream on TikTok? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so like all these, all these new things that are, you know, and I think the more you do it, the more, the less it becomes petrifying them and more just like, you know, a curiosity, like, you know, how do I actually um, Mm -hmm. stretch myself and, and become a new version? Reflecting back on what you're saying, like the reframe of you being curious about it versus it stopping you in the tracks. I love that. Like the curiosity around, okay, interesting that I feel this way. Is it a positive thing? Cause I feel like I'm growing or I just love the, just how curious you are in life. And I want to also call out just you putting yourself in these different situations has created a life that you never would have fathomed and the opportunities that always existed for you. So I just think it's so cool because as we dig into your journey, so many incredible things, you know, a lot of learnings along the way, it it wasn't perfect, but you know, your life has kind of pivoted in such incredible ways. And I think it's a huge um, testament to you just putting yourself out there and always being curious and wanting to learn. So I love that. Um, that's how you were. So you're at like Blackberry, you know, it's such a big experience. What kind of pushed you to leave that job? And then I believe your next step was 
to move to Shanghai for a different opportunity? Yes. So I moved um, after about a year and a half at BlackBerry in Singapore to Shanghai, where I took a new job with another tech company called Frog Design. Um, And I think, you know, the kind of theme of my career before I started entrepreneurship was really like gathering enough experience and learnings where I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm now ready for something new. A kind of a marker that I would use is like for these large corporations, right? Like they're actually great training ground um, for, you know, a new grad. Um, you get to work with different types of people. You get to learn about how, you know, process and, and all these structures work. Um, and then you get to learn about the function of, of your role. Um, so at PNG, I was a brand manager at BlackBerry. I was a product manager at um, Frog Design. I was a business development um, kind of person. So different skill sets that I picked up and kind of a marker that I would use for these large companies is like, at which point do I feel like, you know, the learnings um, or the benefit and the learnings that I'm getting from the company is now being outweighed by like my contributions to this company. So at that point, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm ready for something new, a new challenge. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's, it's a really great strategy for someone who's, you know, a new grad because you're, you're just, um, you know, you're, you're benefiting and reaping so much of the benefits of these large corporations. So until the point where you feel like they're reaping more benefit from you, you know, mm-hmm. that's where I would stay with them. And then, um, and then, yeah. And then like after, um, yeah, I, I think for me, it was just like the desire for a new kind of functional um, realm. So, you know, going to BD, to Shanghai. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of just c- continued to collect those experiences until I was like, okay. You know, and the other thing I learned was I didn't really like to work in a big corporation. I didn't like to work within structures. And that's just something I learned about myself. And I think everyone's different. And there are people who prefer that structure and prefer knowing kind of exactly where they're headed. For me, I didn't really like authority. (laughs) I didn't like being told what to do. I liked being able to make my own decisions. So um, that was one thing I learned about myself in that experience. And then that kind of led me to entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. No, I 
I love that so much. And it resonates with me. I feel like I, every two years I would switch jobs or careers. And I joke that my business is like the longest job I've ever had. Cause it's like every day changing. No one's telling me what to do. I got to figure it out. Definitely more pressure, but you know, certain personalities like ours, it is the right fit, but it takes you going through working at corporate, having different experiences to even uncover that for yourself. So I love that you talk, you know, in a positive way about your experience in corporate because you're learning on someone else's dime. Like that's incredible, you know, and you're getting paid and it's, it's just a great experience. So, you know, you moved to Shanghai from my understanding, you like just quit. Tell me more about the motivation for you to quit and kind of what you were thinking about your life at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had been kind of dabbling in things outside of work that you know, were food related, right? And for me, at first, when I moved to Ch to China, um, food became this like way for me to reconnect with myself. I realized how disconnected I'd become from myself, um, from my identity and my like cultural heritage, from all the years of moving around, and you know, even from my family too in China. You know, like I wasn't able to communicate with them with you know, fluent Chinese as I, as I used to. And, um, you know, food became that common language for us. And um, so that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, I started writing about food, food culture, Chinese food culture. I started realizing how, you know, much of um, how much of this kind of amazing culinary uh, history was like very misunderstood. And, um, and so, you know, I'd been kind of doing these things on the side and leading food tours in China and writing a blog and, you know, gaining some traction there, um, realizing that there was a need for this voice. Um, and so that was all kind of on the side of, of my day job. And um, I think it just kind of got to a point where I felt like I needed to there do something more like there was more for me to do there that you know only I could do like through my unique lens I think that's something I tell entrepreneurs a lot too is like what is the thing that only you can do so like really knowing yourself and really knowing what's missing um and you know I didn't know what exactly it was but <clears throat> it was enough of a feeling that I felt comfortable um, and then obviously I was also very lucky to have had these corporate jobs that allowed me to have, you know, some savings, not a lot, but enough that I felt comfortable, especially living in China with like low cost of living to be able to, um, figure out my next step. Yeah. I, I love that you said, and I just want to echo it, like, what are you uniquely good at? And I think that's something I even ask myself all the time as we're building team, like, who do I need to bring in? And it's a good self-reflection and you doing something on the side while you have a day job that pays the bills and to see if there's any momentum there, I think it's just makes that leap a little bit more easier. So you quit, you know, full-time. Did you have any idea? So you obviously had your savings, which is a good buffer and, you know, I, I love that. I, similar to kind of my story, but did you kind of know what your next steps were? Cause I know you ended up opening a restaurant um, with a few people, but would love to kind of hear like, what were you kind of doing at that time? Did you go full blast into your blog? Like what were the kind of the next steps when you quit your day job and you had all this time in the world to double down on your passions? I was saying yes to a lot of things. So whether it was writing articles for food magazines in the States or, you know, travel pieces and um, taking celebrity chefs around China when they would come to China, being on their TV shows, like 
being a fixer, you know, doing all kinds of things. And I think it was just like, you know, whatever um, opportunity came my way through my blog, through the work that I was doing, I would say yes to, because um, again, it's like, you know, you never know what happens. And I, I kind of learned that like, things lead to another thing. And so, you know, for me at the time, it was just like saying yes to everything. Um, and that's kind of how I also, you know, met my business partner for the restaurant because I was just open. It was really open to conversations, to possibility. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, I feel like even a lot of my jobs, like even that job with frog design, it came through, um, it was, it was actually through Twitter. Like I was following this, um, this person who was an executive at the company, who's like a really well-respected design researcher and, um, just through conversation, through kind of chance and, you know, I was offered this job. So for me, I think chance and, you know, being open to, you know, opportunities and being ready when those opportunities present themselves is kind of how a lot of the greatest things in my life have happened. Mm. So, yeah. That's so beautiful. And you, like you were saying, staying open, saying yes, and like building on that momentum is huge. You know, maybe not knowing where it's going to go, but it always kind of unlocks something if you're looking at it with the right lens. So I love that. And I was just thinking, you know, your parents, we started with this conversation, obviously wanted you to have a more safe route. So as you're kind of quitting your day job, you know, moving to different countries, like what were their perspectives around kind of your life at this time? Um, they were, they, I think they like recognized that I was like going to do my own thing. Um, when I was working with the tech job though, like they were pretty happy with it because, you know, it was high paying. It was, it was, it was great. But, um, when I quit, I think they were definitely very confused. Um, um, and uh yeah but i didn't want to i don't even know if i told them that i quit for a really long time just because you know i just like didn't want all the questions <laughs> um or the worry so um yeah and and uh, yeah but they definitely were a lot more concerned when i told them that i was like opening a restaurant <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And I know the restaurant business in general isn't easy. And, you know, I, I love, I, we haven't gone into your business story yet, but at a high level, I would love to maybe hear, you know, you ended up launching an incredible, I believe like fast casual business. And there's a lot of learnings that you had from that experience that you kind of took on to what you're doing now. So maybe can you share maybe one or two things that you learned from your time working with your business partners and kind of establishing that restaurant? So the idea for the restaurant came together when I met a business partner who um, at the time, you know, had a lot of money and, and, you know, wanted to kind of do something with that. And for me, I didn't have the money, but I had the ideas. And so <clears throat> I was really inspired by the fast casual model that was taking off in the U.S. at the time. So like the sweet greens and the chipotles. Um, and then I wanted to apply it to Chinese cuisine. And also make it, you know, well-designed, exciting, modern, and fresh. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the concept is to create like um, a, a regional Chinese fast casual restaurant where you could like mix and match your proteins, your sides, your, you know, um, bowls and, and stuff like that. And, um, and uh, that's, that's kind of the, the concept. And um, it was 
a lot of challenge and, you know, a ton of learnings to start a restaurant in China. You know, there's um, a whole world of, you know, uh, red tape, but also like things that are possible that couldn't be possible here. Um, so you're just navigating through it, learning, you know, how to navigate the, the system was was a huge learning in itself. And, and then like creating the brand, creating everything from scratch, you know, for me, that was really exciting. I was able to work with friends and, you know, you know, the, the, the um, interior designers and the architects were friends of mine. The branding agency was a friend of mine and, you know, being able to bring to life a vision that was really cool to, to do for the first time. Um, and, um, you know, hiring a team and, you know, being able to manage and, and operate a team um, in a language that's not, you know, my, it's, it's my native tongue, but it's not my, you know, best language. Um, that was, that was really, really challenging as well. But, um, but I think um, the, probably, I, I think, you know, it, it was, it was exciting. I worked round the clock mm-hmm. You know, we worked for probably at least two years before we could get the place open. Um, Yeah, there's just like so much that went into it. Um, But I think ultimately, and and we did really well, you know, we, we, when we opened, it like opened to a lot of fanfare. There was a ton of media coverage. Um, We were winning awards. Um, There was really nothing else like it in the market. And it really resonated with a lot of folks we were all about like transparent sourcing as well like really all natural ingredients which was something that was a concern in the Chinese like food system at the time um but I think ultimately you know I learned a lot of really tough lessons about partnership and you know the partnership ultimately ended um about a year after we opened because of a conflict between me and the other co-founder um I think, you know, it was a situation where um, I, you know, I'm a very independent person. I like to do a lot of things on my own. And, you know, and and, uh, when I, especially when I felt like, you know, I wasn't getting the support that I needed, I would just like kind of continue to charge forward and, and get those things done. And they did get done. And, you know, we got a ton of recognition for, the project, but I think ultimately this person felt like, you know, I was getting more recognition than he was. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I think there's some interpersonal things at play there that at the time when I was like 24, I didn't see, you know, I didn't understand that people's egos will come into play. And like, you know, there was kind of other, other things to consider than just getting the stuff done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately, you know, it, um, I, we had a breakup and, you know, I went on to, to do my next project. Um, unfortunately the restaurant didn't stay open much longer after I left, but, you know, I think it really did teach me some things about, you know, working with others and, you know, just considering, a lot of different factors, including other people's egos in like partnership. And I think, and, and also like what kind of partner to pick, right? I think I, I just started off picking the wrong partner because I picked them 
based only on the fact that they were bringing the money, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing I learned is that you can get money from anywhere. You can get, you know, there's investment funding in, in a lot of different places. What's more important is the dynamic of the partnership and whether you guys drive and work well together. If the skills complement each other um, and and there's, you know, open communication and strong communication. And so it took me a while. And, you know, my next business after that, Jing, I did that on my own. Um, many years later, very recently, I, I just started another business with sets uh, with, with other partners and um, it's going really well because I've learned a lot of lessons in, in that process. So, um, yeah. So I think it's really about like who you pick as a business partner and then like how, how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible just how young you were and the lessons that you learned there. And I feel like I have heard this story with different versions from other people. I've had my own small version of that. You're just like naive. You don't understand like what's important in a business partnership, like getting everything in writing, understanding what that means. Um, but it's cool to see that fast forward to today, like you don't have any trauma around working with other people, but I think you're just vetting them in a different way and you have a little bit more knowledge. So it's cool to see you're kind of now on the other side. And one thing I actually found really interesting um, about your time working at the restaurant, I believe you also weren't getting paid, I think, a salary. Is that something that you kind of learned or any learnings from that that experience? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think a lot of um, founders, when they start a business, they don't pay themselves. And, and yeah, to be fair, like with Fly by Jing, I didn't pay myself for the first two years. Um, but I think you have to be in a really, you know, in a place of privilege to be able to do that. And, you know, not everyone can do that. And at the time when I did the restaurant, I really wasn't in a position where, you know, my business partner was like from a very wealthy family whose, you know, life was being funded by his family. Um, I didn't have that luxury. I was living off of my savings. Right. So <clears throat> when the partnership broke off, um, I was left with nothing because I had not earned a cent in that two years of like blood, sweat and tears that went into the restaurant. And um, yeah, so, you know, that, that's, that, that was a big learning for me. Um, I do think that, you know, when you're in the position where you can not take a salary, it is, you know, oftentimes necessary when you're starting a business to do so. But, you know, when you and your business partner are coming from completely different circumstances, um, and, and you're not as protected in which I also didn't realize at the time that I wasn't like my legal rights weren't protected in the partnership. Like that's when it's really important to, to fight and push for those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it probably was so tough cause you're like, it seemed like you were the main operator in the business, like day in, day out, bringing the vision to life. I mean, I'm sure there's so much experience that you had, you know, creating, this, this vision that you brought to life, what, which ultimately you did with fly by Jing, but, you know, as a main operator, I would imagine that just being so tough that it's kind of, you left with really, you know, nothing, but you have so much valuable experience, but I'm sure at the time you weren't thinking about that, but tell me more about kind of your next step. So clearly you still had to fund your life, figure something out. So what was kind of the next step after, you know, you getting essentially pushed out of this restaurant so during the starting of, of the restaurant we had done a lot of like pop-ups um to promote the brand and so through that experience i was like okay well this is not only like fun but it's also like a great way to get the name out and and um and i can do this like i know how to do this now 
And so it was another example of like one of those things where you try something and like it'll come in handy later on. So when I was pushed out of the, of the restaurant, yeah, I mean, it was extremely traumatic. Um, I felt like a ton of loss, you know, having poured myself and every part of my identity into this, you know, business for two plus years. Um, but to your point, I, I, re- I recognized right away, like, I will be fine because I knew that because I had done most of the things and bringing this to life, I could do it again. And I, I knew I could do it again, even better um, with, without like diluting my vision, you know, with someone else. So it was just like, you know, being able to execute on what I wanted to do. So I, um, I kind of like went into this like turbo mode of trying the next thing almost immediately. Um, I knew that I wanted to get even closer to my roots and, you know, my hometown Chengdu um, in Sichuan province is like known for its food. It's known for its flavor profiles. It's like the food capital of China. And um, in that experience, you know, of, of doing Baoism, the restaurant, you know, we were focused on all of the regions of Chinese cuisines, which is, is huge. China's more like a continent. Um, so I was like, okay, how about I go more specific and kind of go back to exactly like where I'm from. So I went to Chengdu and I studied with an amazing chef there who um, I was able to learn a ton about traditions and ingredients and like, you know, the the craft of, of Sichuan cooking. Um, and, and again, it's like for me, I like to do my research. I like to know the whole lay of the land before I make a decision and kind of like take a step. So, um, so that was like my research phase. That was like my gathering information phase. And I was like, okay, how long was what that? Am I gonna... um, that was like maybe six months. Um, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with that now? You know, I, I've never been the type of person that wants to just like recreate something that's already existing. For me, it was like kind of a, you know, how do I now make it my own? How do I take what I've learned and like express something unique through my own lens? And so that was kind of the the way that I was approaching it. And so little by little, I would kind of like gain the confidence to like cook, you know, the, the cuisine on my own and, you know, kind of make it my own. Um, I would, you know, st- I started this like, supper club underground supper club in shanghai um and a lot of that was like because of my confidence of having done those pop-ups with the restaurant before so i was like okay i know i already built an audience like there's people who are watching what i'm doing if i put out on you know wechat or instagram like you know i'm doing this event on this date like people will probably buy tickets and come and so that's kind of how i got started just um and that's how i would make money too you know because I was starting to run out of money after those two years. And um, so doing these dinners, doing consulting on the side, like things like that were actually helping me to stay afloat. So um, I, uh, yeah, I just, you know, would start to kind of remix a little bit of the stuff that I was learning to cook in Sichuan, maybe collaborating with other chefs who are from different cultures. And we would kind of like, create something, you know, really uniquely new um, together. And 
you know, so little by little, like the word kind of got out that I was doing this thing. And I named the concept fly by Jing. I think, you know, fly, you, you probably know this is a reference to a fly restaurant in Chengdu, which are these hole in the walls that are so good. They attract people like flies. I love it. Um, and then by Jing, because I wanted to make sure people knew whose business this yes, was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah so that's kind of how it started and um from from dinner parties to pop-ups and yeah. yeah so incredible so you have these successful pop-ups you're doing it because you know you're having fun you have confidence that's a way you can you can make money you have a good community when were you like okay I actually want to pivot and maybe create a product around this versus just doing these supper clubs um so that was about maybe like another year and a half later so I did the dinners for a long time and I think you know one reason was because they were bringing in money you know I was able to um there was always another opportunity the more people hear about what you're doing they're like oh can you come and do this can you work with us and do that you know I was invited to cook in cities all over the world I was going to Australia New Zealand Japan like Hong Kong New York LA I was going everywhere and, you know, it was fun. It was great, but you know, it's also a lot of work. And so, you know, I I kind of started to think like, you know, how do I, um, I started to think about scaling and, you know, cause I saw people's reactions when they had these flavors and, you know, there was not so much access to these ingredients, um, outside of China. So most people had never tried it before. They would, light up when they would taste it and they're like oh my god what is this um so i started thinking about like how do i make these flavors more accessible to more people um you know aside from you know me just hand carrying all of the ingredients with me when i traveled um and i think that was on my mind but i didn't do anything about it for a really long time and i think that's like going back to your question about risk it was a time when I um you know like that would be kind of an example when I didn't take the risk right right away because I was like okay well obviously I can make a sauce company but I have no idea how to do that that seems too hard that seems far too far to reach um and I just kind of like continued doing the status quo of what I knew that I could do for a long time and meanwhile I would tell you know some friends of mine like you know I think this idea, I think, you know, it'd be great to start a sauce company, bring it to the U.S. And, um, but then, you know, the months would go by and I, I just didn't do it. And I remember a friend one day, like, just brought it up with me and she was like, I feel like you've been talking about this for a year now. What is stopping you? <laughs> like, you keep taking on these, like, events and these consulting projects and like you know people were contacting me a lot about like you know whatever consulting project about China and the food scene and and stuff and I was making some good money doing that um and uh you know they're like it seems like you're kind of just scared of getting started and I realized when called out like that 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 was actually true I realized that you know, there was a part of me that was averse to that risk because, you know, um, you know, when you have that steady income stream coming in, it's hard to think about like, you know, something completely different. So 
Um, and then I also realized, you know, in order for me to do what I said I wanted to do, I would need to really put myself out there. I would really need to like lay myself bare, really like tell my story, like put myself onto this platform that I wasn't really comfortable with um, at the time. And, um, and, and I realized it was because of like fear of being judged, Mm. fear of, you know, being exposed and, um, it kind of felt like I wouldn't have anything left if that was a failure, you know? So um, that took a long time for me to get over. That was like another level of imposter syndrome. Um, I just didn't have the confidence to, to take the first steps. So it took a lot of work. It took a lot of like discipline of being like, okay, I'm just, you know, I can't get there overnight, even if I wanted to. So I need to like, just take a tiny step and take another tiny step after that. And so, um, it took a lot of discipline to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, stop going out and (laughs) like as much as I was and like kind of create some structure in my time, in my schedule every day and, you know, wake up really early. I'm going to, I'm going to, take the necessary steps and I just broke it down. Like, okay, if I wanted to create a sauce company, what do I need to do? If I wanted to, um, well, I already have the recipe. I I already have been making it, but I need to scale it. So I need to find manufacturers. I need to figure out how to export it. I need to, you know, figure out how to set up a business in the U S I'm Canadian. So I've never lived in the U S I don't know how that works. So setting up an LLC, then I need to like make it known that I have this company. And, you know, I had some friends who had done Kickstarter campaigns. So I was like, okay, that's a good platform Mm -hmm. to, you know, get, um, get your, the word out about your product. And, you know, what does that then take? And you have to film a video, you have to, you know, create this page that usually takes about a month to create. Mm -hmm. You have to run the campaign for a month. You have to figure out <clears throat> how do you get people to know about your campaign? Um, all of the different things. Like there's so much work that leads up to it. And so I think for about six months, I just started kind of chipping away at that like little by little, little by little. But knowing that if I didn't create that discipline in my schedule, so I was like going to bed at nine, waking up at 5 a.m. every day for like that time. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that discipline <clears throat> in blocking out my time. I would just fill it with other things and like consulting or events and stuff. So it was like really hard <laughs> and, um, and it got even harder later on when, once the company actually got started. But, um, but I think, you know, that period of like really confronting myself and I think a lot of entrepreneurship is confronting yourself and breaking down the, your own barriers and like what's stopping you. Right. So a lot of like, I think entrepreneurship is, is self-work, you know, working on yourself, understanding your demons, understanding the things that are holding you back because without breaking those down and rebuilding it, you know, I really think it's not possible to like be an entrepreneur and like grow a company the way that it needs to be grown for success. Oh, I have full body goosebumps. Everything that you said is so, so accurate. 
And I love that you were talking about, you know, you have this goal of wanting to do sauces for a long time. So it's not like you started the business the next day. Your friend mentioned something to you. You finally started dabbling. And all those steps that you're saying, when you're saying it out loud for our listeners and anyone listening, it's like, wow, that seems very overwhelming. There's actually a lot that goes into it. But the fact that you took it one step at a time and you broke it out, I feel like makes things a little bit easier. I mean, even in you know, business today, I'm sure you still do the same thing of like, you know, whether you're like launching Amazon when you did that or going into more retail stores, like it, it, there is a lot of work that goes into it, but what does it look like when you break it down step-by-step and just do one thing every day that can take you to your goal and it's not going to happen overnight. But I love that. And I love the fact that you were saying how entrepreneurship is you're breaking down like your own demons because literally the number one thing holding you back is yourself. And like, that is something that I, and once you hit another stage, you have all new demons that are holding you back. So it's like constant growth all the freaking time. And going back to one thing, even earlier in your life, like you being curious about everything you're reflecting on yourself. So being curious about, you know, what is holding you back? Are you nervous? Like you were saying, being exposed, feeling uncomfortable, putting yourself out there, like putting words behind that, I think is so helpful. So I just love, you know, everything that you you said um, and painted a picture on. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I just want to make sure we hit a few things. So, you know, clearly you had your eye on coming to the U.S. That is your market where you wanted to kind of showcase Fly by Jing. And you started, you know, a Kickstarter. It seemed like it ended up doing quite well, right? One of the like, I believe the top funded, is it one of the top funded Kickstarters? craft food projects on Kickstarter. Oh my gosh. So you, you moved to the state, you have this incredible opportunity. It is clearly like people have interest in it. It's, it's growing. Tell me more about the early days of launching the product after you had the money. I know literally you said in another interview, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. So maybe can you talk about a few of the high level things that happened and, you know, kind of how you overcame those pretty big milestones? Yeah. So, um, it was a pretty big milestone even just getting the Kickstarter up. And, you know, once it got up, I um, worked a ton to try to get, you know, eyeballs on it. You know, we ended up going viral because we were featured in, in some pretty key like um, press articles, which were result of me cold emailing editors. Um, and <clears throat> then you know, after it took off, it was like, okay, well, now it's the issue of actually making this happen. Um, you know, I'd already found some co-packers in China who could do this, but um, hadn't actually produced an actual full run because didn't have the money until the Kickstarter finished. So um, it was a blessing that the Kickstarter, you know, did so well, but then I needed to go to the factory and start this production process, which was um, a whole uh, nightmare. Um, I mean, I was just by myself, right? And so you can imagine these manufacturers being like, who are you? Like, why should we pay attention to you? Um, So it took a really long time, even just to get someone to pay attention to me, right? And then to do things my way, which they had never done before, because, you know, I also didn't know how mass manufacturing worked, because I was just doing it in my kitchen, right? I was doing it in my kitchen, in my food processor, in my wok. Like it's a very different thing to translate that to large scale manufacturing. Um, So it was a lot of learning from both parties, like myself and the co-packer in that process of figuring that out. Um, 
and a lot of resistance as well. I think, you know, there's a lot of like no's, like you can't do that. That doesn't work. Like that bottle won't work. Like this, this is not going to fly. Like, no, we just flat out refuse to do this or, you know, so there's a lot of, um, a lot of resistance, a lot of no's, a lot of like, why don't you just do this instead? And so I think in that process, I also learned like, this is why a lot of the products that show up on shelf mass produced format are watered down because there's so many chances to take shortcuts along the way, you know, and there's a lot of companies that, you know, maybe exist for other reasons, like we'll take those shortcuts for myself. It's like this product and these flavors and my mission of getting it to this wider audience is so intertwined with my own personal identity that I wasn't willing to sacrifice anything. You know, I, I, I wasn't willing to um, dilute or water down any part of the experience. So, so it was very challenging for me to like learn how to deal with all of the no's and all of the, you know, and just kind of figure out like, if I said it this way, it's a different way I can say it so that, you know, they'll understand or, or so that I can get my way um, so there's a lot of learnings <clears throat> on that front. And finally, you know, managed to get a production run going and uh, then it's time to like, you know, ship it off to the US. That takes like a while. So overall, <clears throat> there's like a ton of delays, um, but, you know, communicating those delays to the thousands of Kickstarter backers um, was really helpful in like gaining their trust and like you know, having them getting their support, like, they're like, yeah, of course, like, you know, this stuff happens. Nobody really expects to get a Kickstarter um, product on time. That's just like how it works, right? With the first time entrepreneurs. Um, and so that's also why Kickstarter is a great place to get your product off the ground because they're just much more understanding. Um, and then, you know, from the product's Arriving in the U.S. and, you know, going to a third-party logistics company, getting packed and shipped, um, you know, to, like, there was, there was just problems the whole way through, right? <laughs> like, there's all the delays, and then when it arrived, um, the 3PL just basically packed it terribly, um, where there was no protective padding in the boxes, <laughs> Um, and these are glass jars. And so that winter, you know, I, I moved to the, uh, to LA at that point, I was living out of an Airbnb in, in Silver Lake and, um, you know, I'd driven over to the 3PL's warehouse. I think they were like in Long Beach or something and instructed them on exactly how to pack these things out. Of course they didn't listen. They were packed terribly. And then I started to receive these angry you know, emails from customers being like, why did I receive a bag full of broken glass and chili oil everywhere? And, you know, the panic of like the realization that did they do this for all of the shipments? Because I don't have enough product to be able to replace them. I don't have enough money to be able to refund them. Like I literally cannot. Um, so, you know, I spent that whole like Christmas, it was like November, December, just staying at the Airbnb. Like I couldn't go home for, for the holidays. I just had to answer literally thousands of customer service emails um, 
thankfully, like by some miracle, only 15% of the packages got broken um, in transit. And, you know, it was really a miracle considering how they were packed. Wow. And so, um, yeah, and the, th- the 3PL was able to refund a lot of the broken orders with their insurance. So okay. in the end of the day, like I, I ended up okay, but it cost me a lot of time, a lot of, you know, communication with the customers. But ultimately, I think that proved to be something that yeah, actually brought, you know, the company and the customers closer together because there was more trust established. And, you know, after going through an experience like that, they're more likely actually to support you. Um, understanding like, you know, everything that entrepreneurship kind of entails. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the rocky start that we got off on, but after people started tasting the product and experiencing it, they would tell their friends. And when I actually built the Shopify website um, in February, the year after people just started coming on the site and spreading the word. It was a lot of word of mouth. We didn't have any kind of money to be able to advertise. And there was a ton of, you know, organic press, organic word of mouth. And that's kind of what drove the flywheel in the beginning. Oh my gosh, Jing, like you saying all of that, I just like my heart hurts because I can't even imagine like how much you were. It's just so many things that didn't go right. But I think, and this has been really helpful to hear stories like yours on my own journey is like things happen and it's, you know, I hate to say it's common because it's all relative to what you go through, but this is just part of figuring things out, especially if you, your first time business owner for a product company, it's like, you're going to, you don't have all the answers or like you said, your 3PL might not have listened to you and things like that happen all the time. So at least as I've been building the business, I always reflect on stories like yours and other women. I'm like, okay, you know, we had a shipment that didn't come in. We had a bunch of pre-orders. I wasn't at thousands and thousands of customers, but hundreds. And I've been like nonstop on customer experience where like, my husband's like, you need help, babe. Like it's just been nonstop for you. But, but it, you know, getting that closeness with the customers, like you said, and you really building that transparency and community is just incredible. So I know we didn't get into all the stories, but like you said, you built that organic awareness. You guys really, really popped in 2020 with COVID, which is incredible. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm personally a big fan of everything that you've built. I want to end on the podcast talking about your latest cookbook, which is beautiful and so exciting. So maybe you can share a little bit about the cookbook and kind of like what's next for you, whether it's personally or with the business. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we've been really lucky in the last four years to have grown the business. And, you know, especially after COVID, um, we we are in a very different place today than when we first started. Uh, we're available not just online, but um, at over 5,000 retail stores. Um, I've been able to grow the team from beyond just myself to over 20 people. We're spread out all over the U.S. Um, and, and I feel really well supported. You know, I kind of went through the journey of like, being the type of CEO that like literally needed to do everything um, to feeling supported and feeling the ability to kind of like, um, or the desire to like really build the capabilities and the confidence of my team so they can do things um, without me kind of like with oversight over everything. So it's been a real journey. Um, I think one of the things that we're most proud of is that we have actually, you know, unbeknownst to me back in 2018, 
we we really are played a major part in starting a movement of like making the food scene and food industry more diverse. Um, we were the first modern Chinese food brand to launch, which is only 2019, which is kind of unbelievable. But since then, we've grown and grown the category and really like helped to bring up other brands along with us as well. So that's been really exciting. And, you know, over time, my mission has really like solidified as well in my in my eye. And like we, we've um, been really like the team has really, you know, come around it. And, you know, I think not just within Fly by Jing, but the broader industry, our peers, our customers are all kind of like seeing this vision and really um, believing in it and supporting it. And that is really for us to evolve culture through taste. And, you know, in thinking about like what's next, it's really to continue to drive that mission forward. So for me, I recently just launched my cookbook, my first cookbook, it's called The Book of Citron Chili Crisp. And um, yeah, it's really a very personal story of my journey of getting here. Um, 85 recipes, everything is really um, showcasing just like how easily you can incorporate these flavors, not just Chili Crisp, but these like citron, these really soulful citron flavors into your everyday. And again, breaking down the barriers to access, right? Like just having people really understand how easy it is to actually access these flavors and expand their palates and hopefully also their minds that way. So that is something I'm really excited about. Um, it's available everywhere books are sold. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about is my new grab and go concept swa, which just opened on Larchmont. Amazing. And yeah. So this one is kind of a continuation of my vision back when I was doing building Baoism. This is takes like fast casual even further by, you know, creating a really convenient grab and go model where you can access like delicious Sichuan flavors, really high quality organic Californian produce and proteins, but in a convenient grab and go format in the heart of Larchmont. So that opened literally two weeks ago. I'm really excited for everyone to go in and check it out. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, through that, we're also continuing to further our mission of evolving culture through taste. I think we're like the first, you know, modern Asian food brand to be on that street. Right. And so exposing people to like these flavors of my hometown and my business partner, Stephanie's hometown. She's also from Sichuan. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really excited to like bring these flavors to more people. Oh my gosh. Well, so excited for you, Jing. I had no idea about the Larchmont location. I'm going to go there ASAP. This is like music to my ears. I can't wait, but just so inspired by you. Appreciate you kind of sharing your story. And it was such an honor to have you join us. Thank you, Jing. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.